Welcome to church, and uh, it's good to be with you. You can grab your Bibles, flip over to uh, 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, Chronicles, Chronicles, however you want to say it, um, 1 Chronicles uh, 29, uh, in my Bible that's page 392, so it's pretty early in your Bible in the Old Testament, and as you're flipping there, I uh, love to hear the sound of pages in the Bible turning. Um, happy Independence Day weekend, and uh, it's so good to be with you, and, and as you see, um, this is making me a little nervous with this power cord back here, but you know, our screens went out, and uh, we're working on getting those fixed, but this is like the, this is like the little fix for now, okay, so we got a screen up here, and there's not going to be a whole lot on the screen, just main points, because we like to flip in our Bibles and see it um, in our hands what God wants to say to us, and uh, so it's Independence Day weekend, and are you there yet? You're in First Chronicles 29? Look, at the, what we're going to read uh, is at the end of his life, David prayed a prayer over uh, his nation, the nation of Israel, and on a weekend that we uh, are remembering our nation and the freedoms that we have and the independence that we enjoy as a nation, uh, I will believe it would be helpful for us to study this prayer that uh, David prayed uh, for his nation and see what God wants us to learn. And so the context of this, we're about to read it in full and then, uh, and then pray, but the context of it is that it's the end of David's life. Now David, David, maybe you know David, uh, David and Goliath, this is King David, David and Goliath, maybe um, you've known him by Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba. Okay, David was uh, the mighty king of Israel in the Old Testament. That David. Well, at the end of his life, um, his desire is to build a temple for the Lord. And God gives him plans to build a temple, but God said, you're not going to be the one to build it because he's, he's had too much blood on his hands. He's killed too many people, but his son, Solomon, is going to build the temple. So at the end of his life, David uh, has a fundraiser, and David leads the fundraiser uh, with his own generosity, and he gives to this fund, a building fund. We, we know, we're familiar with building funds. We've had building funds here before, and uh, well, we're giving to build something for the Lord, and this is what's happening. So David, at the end of his life, he's having this fundraiser and he's asking everybody to give to it, but he leads in generosity and we'll look later about how much he gives towards it, but people give generously, abundantly, everything, more than they need to build this temple. Gold and silver and materials. And once they took this offering... David prays this blessing to the Lord, a prayer of thankfulness to the Lord. This is 1 Chronicles uh, 29. We're going to look at verse 10 through 18. Are you with me? Let's read it and then we'll pray. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and all that is in earth is yours. 
Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hands are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given to you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all the fathers were. Our days on this earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and it is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart have I freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray, I thank you, Lord, for all these brothers and sisters that we're gathered together to hear from you. I thank you that your spirit is in this place. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that you would teach us from the word. God, that we would be open to receive, humbly receive something from you today. God, I truly believe that you have the power and the ability to use my speech to speak to us from your spirit. So come and have your way. Less of me and more of you. Do what only you can do, Lord. Illuminate the scriptures for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this passage, and we're just going to kind of go through it and unpack uh, what is there uh, as best we can. There's so much we could spend uh, weeks and weeks studying just these verses, but we're going to kind of hit some overarching themes in here. And uh, here's the first one. Um, a be hopeful... Uh, Because God is sovereign, okay? Uh, Verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is greatness and power and glory and victory and majesty. For all that is in heavens and all that is on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You have exalted, been exalted as head above all. He goes on and says, Riches and honor And power and might are in your hand. And you give strength to all. Man, there's so much there. See, David is blessing the Lord for providing all these funds and materials for this building project. And then he goes on to describe not just attributes of God, but uh, he, he describes the sovereignty of God. Now, what is sovereignty? Very simply, sovereignty is that God is in control, that He is in charge, that He has all authority. I like how um, the folks over at Desiring God described it. It says there are no limits to God's rule. This is sovereignty. There are no limits to God's rule. This is part of what it means to be God. He is sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. He is never helpless, never frustrated, never at a loss. And in Christ, God's awesome sovereign providence is in the place we feel most reverent, 
most secure and most free. So God, um, there's no limits to his rule. He has all authority. He is totally in control, and that's what we see there. Aren't you glad? So, so that, what means is that he is um, a strong place to put our hope. And aren't you glad that uh, we don't have to put our hope in a political system? Amen? Amen? To take care of us? No. We can hope in the God who has total authority over all things. Maybe uh, we, we tend to put our hope in uh, things that aren't very great to put our hope in. Maybe you've put your hope in your marriage, and you're like, man, once I get married, things would be great. And then you realize that you're just married to a sinner, and, uh, and you're like, wow, they couldn't quite live up to the hope that I was putting in that relationship. Or maybe you put your hope in your kids, and one day your kids are going to do something great, and then they don't, or they don't go to the college that you thought they would go to, or they pursue a different path in life than you thought they would, and all of a sudden your hopes are crushed, or maybe you put your hopes in a political candidate, and if they, just, if they get in office, then we're going to be okay, and then they don't do what you thought they would do, or they do things that you didn't think they would do, and all of a sudden, your hopes are crushed. Let me tell you, our hope should uh, only be in the Lord. He's the only one that can handle it. See, our, our, um, my, my kid, Rory, love her. She's a great daughter, but she's a terrible God, okay? Did you know that? She's a terrible God. She's a great daughter. Same with my wife. My wife is a terrible God, but she is a wonderful wife. Uh, your career, a terrible God. You might have a great career, but it's a terrible thing to put your hope in, a terrible thing uh, to worship, and we know this. We know, I think we know, that, um, that there's nothing in this world that we can put our hope in that won't disappoint us, yet we do it anyways. <laughs> we keep doing this, and I'm here to say, Put your hope in God. He's the only one that won't disappoint. He's the only one that can hold the weight of your hope and your worship. You know, uh, whenever um, I was uh, a young, younger person, whenever I was a kid, we lived in, uh, in a house in Long Beach, and I remember that my older brother Jesse, his friend came over, we'll call him Eddie, because that was his name, and I think... I think, to my memory, that's what it was. Anyways, they come over, and my mom asks my brother Jesse to go get something out of the attic. And it's one of those attics, maybe you have one where it's like they pull down that door on the roof, and then the ladder comes down, and you climb up inside. And he goes to get something for mom, and um, or Eddie, you know, you can imagine an Eddie. And he's like, I want to go up the stairs, too. I want to see what the attic looks like. And so he uh, climbs up the attic, and... My mom's like, you probably shouldn't go up there. Not good to be up there. You don't know the attic very well. And he goes up, and then all of a sudden, of course, there's a foot coming through the ceiling into the kitchen. And it's like, what, what's going on here? Uh, we told you not to go up there. And then what did he do? He put his weight in something that couldn't hold his weight. And his foot ended up coming through the sheetrock, and that was not a good day at the Froman house. Okay? But... It's the same thing if you've ever been climbing out on a limb and then the limb couldn't hold your weight and snaps, you get it. Here's the thing. Um, it wasn't meant to hold you. Only 
God is strong enough to hold our hope. Look, He's sovereign. He rules over all. Notice He says here in verse 10, He calls Him Father. He says, The God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. He's our Father. This is great. You know, because he goes on to describe the awesome and powerful and might and strength of the Lord. That's our dad. That's our father. That's our heavenly father. He wants a relationship with us. He's not just some distant force. He wants a personal, he's a personal father. And so he is sovereign. And if there's one point today uh, on all the points that we're going to look at, if there's one point that you take away from this. Here it is. God is sovereign. I am not. Okay, there it is. God is sovereign. I am not. God's in charge. I am not. God rules all. I do not. God is in control. I am not. The second thing we see here is uh, be thankful for God is gracious. Look at verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. He's gracious. See, David is recognizing here that all good things come from God. He lists some. He says, riches and honor and rule and power and might and greatness and strength. He says, it all comes from God. God And so his response to this reality that all good things come from God is thankfulness and praise. God, thank you. We all know the kid who uh, has been given everything yet still seems to not be grateful. Or maybe at Christmas, you ever opened all your Christmas presents and you're like so excited and you open them up and you get them and, you're, and then you find yourself disappointed that you didn't get that one thing that you wanted you find yourself, although I've gotten all these good things, there's a little bit of ungratitude in my heart. Let us be thankful for what God has given. If we have it, it's because God gave it to us. So instead of being disgruntled by all the inconveniences and difficulties of life, I'm going to be grateful for all the good things that God has given. So uh, be thankful for God is gracious. Gracious means that He has given me what I do not deserve. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But He's given it because He is gracious. Can we just pause for just a moment? And uh, if you have a notepad or a phone with notes, can we all just take a moment, really, honestly, and just write down one thing we're thankful for? I know this seems like an elementary practice, but I think it is, uh, it's important. We see here David, he named the things that he's grateful for. It says right there. Verse 13, now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. So if you got your note, we're just going to take a minute. Just take a minute, go ahead, write down. One thing you're thankful for.
have it? Do you have it? Can we all just say thank the Lord? Thank the Lord. This weekend we recognize that um, we have a, a great country uh, that has been given to us by God. And uh, we are thankful for the freedoms and the independence that we do enjoy that, um, that is not a reality for many, many places in the world. And we are blessed and we are to be thankful. Now should this puff us up and think that we're better than everyone else and that everyone, like, uh, like somehow God loves us more than everybody else in the world? No, no. See, point three is this, uh, be humble. Be humble. For God is glorious. Be humble. Verse 14 says, Who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things have come from you, and of your own we have given you. Look at verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that, that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, where does it come from? It comes from your glorious hand and is your own. Look at verse 14. He says, but who am I? And who is my people? It's a sign of humility. He's asking a rhetorical question. He's saying, who are we to deserve all this goodness that you have showered upon us? He's like, we are no one. He's saying, all things come from God and they are for God. They are by God and to God and through God and for Him. Colossians gives a similar description. Uh, you want to flip over to Colossians with me? Colossians is a New Testament uh, epistle. And uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 15. Have you made it? Have you made it? Have you made it? Y'all seem quiet this morning. Did y'all uh, did y'all drink coffee? You know we started serving coffee again? I thought that would perk you up a little bit. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says this. He is the image, Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile himself. All things whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. I love that right there. In verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him all things hold together. All things are by God and from God and for God. Here's the point. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's not about us. He's the one who deserves the glory. He is glorious. So we just humble ourselves because He's glorious. He's sovereign. I am not. If I think I'm anything, I, I need to remember who gave me everything. Well, but I'm a self-made man. Well, no, you're not. 
I mean, you might have started with nothing and worked really hard to get everything that you have, but everything that you had to work with was given to you by God. We see this just from David. All right, so I told you we're going to see how much he gave to this, to this building project. If you're in uh, Chronicles uh, 29, verse 4, um, talks about the number of things that he gave. So he said, let's, let's give to this temple project, and then this is what he gave. Verse 4 says, 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of refined silver. All right, let's just stop there and, and say that's where we'll stop. Well, one talent was about 10 years' wages for the average worker. So David gave 3,000 of gold and 7,000 of silver. In today's terms, that's about $5 billion. Okay, and because he was king, he, he, he had that type of money. But some scholars say that this is probably David's entire personal treasury. In other words, he didn't give out of his treasuries. He gave his treasuries. This was a sacrificial gift. It would have led to a significant life change. What this means is that David's all in on this thing. And uh, the point being this, if anyone had reason to boast, it'd be David. Hey, we, we, gave to, we raised money to give, uh, build the temple, um, and I gave $5 billion. But you know what he does? He recognizes that God is the source of all these funds. Look at it. For all things come from you. Look at verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for your building, to your house, your holy name comes from you. And your hand, it's all your own. So even though he led the way in sacrificial giving, he's all in on this God thing. He says, who am I? Who am I? You've got to humble yourself. Be, gr be grateful. God is the source of all greatness. For me to boast in my own greatness would be the equivalent of my house boasting about the electricity. Imagine my house. Look at this electricity. Power the stove. Power the microwave. Keep your AC running all summer. This Mississippi heat, how awesome am I? Okay. Um, sorry, house. <laughs> the power comes from uh, the power company. That's what it's like. You're, you're just the conduit for which it throws, flows. So if you're tempted to get a big head and think that you're awesome, humble yourself. Humble yourself. It's better to humble yourself than to be humbled, amen. You know, what it, you know what they call it whenever you have to be humbled? They call it humiliated. That's what they call it. All right? So it is much better to humble yourself before the Lord than to be humbled. But one day we will all be humbled. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There's going to be a day where every soul is crystal clear on who runs the universe. And we're all going to know God is sovereign. I am not. Here's the fourth thing. Um, be purposeful, for God is eternal. Look at verse 15. 
For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that you have provided for your building a house, your holy name comes from you and your hand is not your own. I'm sorry, 18 is what I wanted to read. Go to verse 18. O Lord, the God of our The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. All right. So in verse 15, he says, our days on earth are like a shadow. There is no abiding. It's quick. It's it's fleeting. Um, David's saying in the context of eternity, we are, our life is just a vapor. We're just passing through. We're like sojourners. We're just on a journey through this life into eternity. We're here and then we're gone. You know, although I really enjoy my house, my wife and I, we own a house down the street and we have three little acres and a little pond and it's nice and it feels like home and all of those things. You know, in like a few decades, there's going to be someone else who calls that house their home, and they make it their own, and, and, and they feel like that's their place. We're just passing through. This is not our home. God is eternal. We need to be thinking about eternal things, because the only thing that we can take with us to heaven is people. You know that? The only thing we're bringing is people. And so the best thing we can do with our lives is is invest in the next generation. Pass down these truths to the next generation. I spoke about this on Father's Day. This should be the the purpose of every person. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Go and pass this on. If you're a dad or a mom, pass it on to your kids. If you're a grandparent, pass it on to your grandkids. If you're a single adult, pass it on to youth. Get involved in the youth group. Find someone younger than you. If you're a teenager, get involved in children's ministry. That's where I started serving the Lord, is in children's ministry. Pass it on. Wherever you find yourself in life, um, go and find someone who is uh, younger than you. You make it a priority to pass the truth of Jesus on to the next generation. Don't waste your life chasing after temporal things. Don't waste your life... uh, Chasing after retirement and career and power and economic status and comfort and security. Invest in something eternal. Invest in the next generation. Be purposeful with your life. Because God's eternal. It's more than just what we do here. What we do here is going to matter in eternity. This sounds like a big task, doesn't it? (laughs) Train up the next generation. Like, how, what can little old me do? Hey, it's as simple as building a relationship with one person. Right? Pray. Maybe pray this morning. God, would you put on my heart one person to begin to build a relationship, to begin to talk about the truths of Jesus with them, to pass this on? He says that right there. He says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, our fathers, keep forever, this thing is eternal, such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. 
He goes on to pray the, the same thing for his son Solomon, that Solomon would pursue him, be purposeful. God is eternal. All right, here's the last one. Let's remember, God is sovereign, right? I'm not. I'm not. He is sovereign. I am not. Last thing. Uh, be real. Uh, God is our salvation. All right, verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Be real. Be real. See, God knows when you are uh, faking it. God is more concerned uh, about your motives. He's more concerned about who you really are when He says there in verse 17, Lord, I I know... My God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. Like he's 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 looking at the heart. Do you have a friend? Do you have a friend who knows you so well that that they can like tell when something's not right with you? I have a friend like that. Maybe your your spouse is like that. I have a friend, David Colbert. He's one of my closest friends. He here at the church, and uh, we'll be in the office. We'll come in to work together, and we'll sit down, and he'll be like, "Man, what's going on?" I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, something's not right with you today. I'm like, how, how do you know? Like, it, it, you, you have a friend like that? Like, they see you. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to have a long face for them to be like, man, something's off with you. Something's not right. And, um, and, and God uh, knows you better than that. Uh, God knows you better than your best friend, and he's concerned about what's going on inside. And so all these people, they gave all this money. They gave sacrificially and generously and joyously to this project. And, and David's saying, hey, God, I know that you, they gave with pure motives. That they gave out of the abundance of their heart. Uh, 1 Samuel describes um, this time whenever uh, God is going to pick David to be the king. And so he sends his prophet Samuel and he says, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. The next king of Israel is there. So Samuel, he goes to the house of Jesse and says, Jesse, I need you to bring out your sons because we're going to pick a king. So Jesse gets all his sons. He had a lot of them. He he lined them all up. and They were all tall, dark, and handsome and well-qualified and competent and beautiful. And he lines them all up and he says, uh, all right, let's pick one. So Samuel goes to one. They didn't even invite David to this party. David's out working or something. And so, so he goes, Samuel's looking, uh-uh, no, not you, not you, no, not you. This is what God says. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God's looking at your motives. He's looking at who you really are, not who you portray yourselves to be. And, uh, and so he says here, God, test the heart. Test the heart. I think some of us need to have a heart test today. God, will you test my heart? 
Why am I into these things? Why am I at church today? Why do I give to you? Do I have pure motives? Would you test the heart? And have pleasure in uprightness, in the uprightness of my heart. Okay, so how do I become up, upright? How do I have pure motives? How do I do that? That's a great question. Here's the interesting thing. is um, The temple that they were building uh, was a shadow of the real temple that was coming. This was not a temple. Um, however, that would be, it was not going to be made out of gold and silver like this temple was. Um, Jesus said that he is the real temple. And at the temple that they are about to build, the, the temple of Solomon, um, there was a place where sacrifices would be made and offered for people to be reunited with God. Jesus himself is the presence of God in human flesh. And he himself was the sacrifice that brought us near to God. He, he was the real temple. The temple that wasn't built out of the generosity of David, but was built out of his entire, his own generosity. God's generosity. David ends his life by um, giving his life savings to build the temple. He gave so generously that it altered his lifestyle to build the place where sacrifices were made for sin. Jesus, who was the real temple, gave up his life and offered it himself as the great sacrifice for all sin. Okay, so how, how does, what does this have to do with me being upright? What does this have to do with me having good motives? Hebrews 10.10 10 says, and that by, that we will, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Here's the thing, we can try in our own strength to be good enough for God, but that's not what God wants. He wants us to surrender to him to humble ourselves before Him, to trust Him for our salvation. And whenever He comes into our life, whenever his, the sacrifice that He made, we receive for our sins, He transforms our lives so it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. And that is the only way that we can live a life that is upright, that is pure motives, a life of integrity and character. So how do I be saved? How do I, how do I trust in Jesus? I, uh, I shared some of these scriptures at a funeral of our, our dear sister recently, Paula. Um, Paula went on to be with the Lord. And at her funeral, I shared these scriptures. Romans 5, 8. God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake 
he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How can I be righteous? How can I be upright? How can I be sanctified? How can I be good in Christ? John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay? So how do I receive that gift? Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. How do I receive it? We've got to get real with God, right? Let's not pretend. Let's be authentic. and Have God be our Savior. God be our Savior. Let's get real with it. And uh, the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. Peter, whenever he preached the gospel for the first time, he says, repent and believe and be baptized, is what he said. Repent means to turn from my sin. Turn from my sin. Believe means to embrace Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So that's my invitation to you, to recognize God's sovereign. I am not. Be real with God and allow Him to be your Savior. That's the only way we're going to live this life. It's the only way we're going to truly be uh, genuinely hopeful and thankful and humble, purposeful, and real with God. So if that, if today, maybe you have never made a decision, maybe you're watching online and you've never uh, trusted Christ as your Savior, I just want to invite you not to let this moment pass. But as the Spirit is moving and tugging on your heart, that you would turn from your sin and that you would embrace Him for the forgiveness of your sin. That He would transform your life so that you can say, in the end, God, test my heart. Have pleasure in the uprightness in the uprightness of my heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these moments that we're able to share in your word, and I thank you for your spirit moving in this place. And God, I pray that we'd all be um, challenged and encouraged and convicted on this day that we remember our independence is that, God, uh, we live in a wonderful place, but we don't trust in this country. We don't put our hope in uh, our political leaders, God. Um, we're not going to be swayed and anxious and fearful about what's happening uh, this year at the election because we know that you are sovereign, that you have total rule, that you have total authority. God, we are not sovereign. Our job is to trust you and to hope in you and to humble ourselves before you and to follow you. God, I pray for the person who's never done that. They, they don't, they've never started a relationship. They've never bowed a knee to King Jesus. God, I pray that today would be that day. That they would see themselves. That their sin has offended you. That their sin has brought death into their life. They would turn from you. They'd turn to you, Jesus. They'd run to you. Confess their sin. And declare you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for your spirit to help us think about and work these things out in our own life. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
good to be with you, church.